by the Spiritist Society of Bournemouth and Poo Christian Spiritualist Church. Our speaker tonight is Flavio Zanet from the United States. Flavio, it's a great pleasure to have you here with us tonight. Pleasure is mine, Fabrizio and Laurie. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Flavio. So Flavio will be talking to us about the Spiritist view of Jesus, our Christ. This is another of our fortnightly talks on the psychological series of Joanna Angelis. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Joanna, she is a spirit who has for many years been the spirit guide to our most famous living spiritist medium, Divaldo Franco. Through Divaldo's mediumship, since the middle of 20th century, Joanna's spirit has been the author of a large number of very important spiritist books, widely published in many languages across the world, dealing with the moral teaching of spiritism. Let me say a few words about our speaker, Flavio Zanet. Flavio is a prominent speaker for the spiritist movement, both in the United States and abroad. She has, he, he has worked in different positions from the Alankatek Spiritist Society of Massachusetts, our, as programmer director for the, Spiritist, for the United States Spiritist Federation, as the general secretary for the Spiritist Family Retreat. He has a uni university degree in engineering, sociology, and business management. He lives in Boston and works at the senior level in telecommunication company. In addition to all of this, Flavio does a lot more to spread the message of Spiritism. He is a language translator of books and articles for the Spiritist magazine and other publications, and he also does simultaneous language translation for Spiritist events. So Flavio, it's really great to have you here with us, and we really look forward very much to your presentation. Before then, let us go over to Lawrence's view at the Poole Christian Spiritualist Church for our opening prayer. Thank you, Fabricio, and a very warm welcome to our guest tonight, Flavio. Very nice to be introduced to you, sir. And a warm welcome to everybody joining us online, be it live tonight or in the future on the playback uh, re record. There we go. So if you could just join me silently now. Just draw within just for this short time, leaving our cares, our concerns, our worries and our fears at the door. For now is your time. And we ask, dear Lord, as we sit here tonight, although we are separated from all that we know at this time, keep us in that mood, in that sense, in that understanding, that we are never alone. We are connected to each and every individual upon this planet. And we are connected too to those higher beings who sit by our side and comfort and guide us. And as we open up our minds now to this evening, let us absorb the knowledge that we can take and understand and use it to go forward, to walk through this world, to be of service to all that we meet, for that is a great divine plan for all things. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you, Lawrence. Now it's my pleasure to hand it over to Flavius Zanet for his talk entitled The Spiritist View of Jesus, Our Christ. Over to you, Flavio. Thank you once again, Fabricio, for the, uh, the introduction. Thank you, Laurie, for this beautiful prayer. And uh, let us all keep our thoughts raised to our Professor Jesus, to our Lord, our Mother and Father God, for all the blessings we have re received. We're very thankful but also all the difficulties, all the lessons that we have to learn, we thank our dear Lord. With that in mind, I also like to thank our benefactor spirits, our guardian angels that are right beside us at every single moment of our lives. May they continue to be there. May they continue to be close to us, bringing our hearts at peace, shining lights to our minds so that we can really comprehend the message or the teachings that we'll talk about tonight for you guys in the afternoon for myself here on this side of the pond. And then we can really come together as a unified you know, children of God that we all are. Thank you so much again for the opportunity, folks. I'm gonna flush you know, a couple of slides so that may help us really solidify the, uh, the arguments that we're building here. But before we start get going here, we start going here, uh, I have a couple of questions that I would like to ask for you folks that are following us either live or through the recording, uh, let's think about Jesus. Who was this man? What did he come here to do? What was his role on earth? Was he the messenger of God? Was he God himself? What was he, so what was so special about Jesus that we we'll still talk about him 2000 years after? So these are some of the questions that we'll address as we go through the uh, next few minutes that we have together. But I think it's important to mention because this particular individual, if we open up all the books that have all, always been written before, the most biographies are about him. His life divided how we count time in our planet before Christ and after him. The actuality of Jesus' thoughts surprises the most skeptical students of the human problems. If we go into the uh, social sciences, the psychology, sociology, and economics, we look into Jesus as examples that we can really match, we can really bring analogies from. His teachings were around all the problematic, all of the issues that we live, in our daily lives, sometimes very complex, sometimes very challenging. But the point that we're trying to make is that his teachings are still very relevant to us today as they were 2000 years ago. And thanks to a guide spirits that have helped us through all this journey, namely in the 19th century, who have really given us more knowledge, more tools in order to comprehend his teachings, and this is exactly the framework or the lens with which we're going to really drive the conversation this evening with all of us. So let us by let us start. Uh, Jesus the Christ. I think it's important to highlight that Christ is not a last name. If you look at the word Christ, the etymological version of the word Christ from the old English, Christ, or Christ without the H, from Latin, Christus, 
and from Greek, Christos, or means that ideal type of humanity. Christ, or the title, it was really given to the reigning Messiah, which means the anointed one, or one, or the person who has been given oil rubbed over a body, which was an ancient ritual of marking someone uh, uh, as significant, of a very high importance. For example, in the case of a king or a sacerdotal excuse me, figure, that's exactly why we see Jesus Christ as part of his name. It's important to mention that because a lot of folks don't know that. So when we ask about Jesus of Bethlehem, Jesus the Nazarene, what's the difference? If we rewind our history 2,000 years ago, people didn't really have last names. Their last names were where they come from. For example, Laurie from Bournemouth, Flavio from Boston, Fabrizio from so-and-so. So Jesus from Nazarene, Jesus from Bethlehem. But in his situation, in this case, we have Jesus Christ. Just a little starting point that may be able to guide us with the overall journey that we have ahead of us. So let me, let me just bring an important concept. And with total and full disclaimer here, I'm not a trained psychologist, and this is not a psychologist you know, talk or, or lecture by all means. I'm just a uh, dedicated student of these pieces of psychology and of course, spiritism and spiritualism per se, right? But I think it's important for us to mention what is the uh, human psyche and also uh, equally important to understand some of the definitions to better situate ourselves because the spirit guide, Joanna the Angelus, talks about psyche in many different forms. She really builds arguments, builds some hypotheses that she really goes and plans and really argues them to arrive at a synthesis at the end using the psyche concept behind the scenes or really um, overly, as I should say. So the definition that we have from psyche, this is the dictionary definition, is the totality of the human mind, both what's conscious and also what's unconscious. If you're wondering, we have things that we know consciously and we have things that we know unconsciously. So the idea of psyche is that all these things are combined in our own minds, in our own, you know, the way we see the world. And of course, according to uh, Carl uh, Gustav Jung, we have here that the psyche is this overlap and tension between the personal and the collective elements in the human being. So what's really personal to us and also what's collective, what's really beyond our inner self. That's what he's, talk he's talking about here in this idea. But when you look at that from a spiritist perspective, I'd like to bring the, the uh, quote here from Joanna the Angelus that she talks about Jesus having this profound knowledge about the human psyche. And by doing that, or by having such, he safely was able to penetrate an individual's intimacy and discovered the real causes of afflictions with everyone that he talked about or he talked to. And also 
everyone's afflictions that oftentimes we are unconsciously trying to hide. Flavio, it complicates everything. I, I can't even comprehend now. Let's go step by step on this piece. So what she's suggesting is that Jesus, as this very elevated being that he is, spirit that he is, he knew profoundly what the human psyche meant. And by doing so, he was safely able to really go deeper into our own intimacy. Everyone that he talked to, everyone that he really imposed his hands, everyone that he cured, everyone that he healed, every interaction that he had with disciples, with folks that came to talk to him, with folks that came to touch him. There's several examples in the scriptures or in the historical books that talk about folks interacting with Jesus. And he knew, based on their own psyche, what were the causes of those afflictions. Sometimes those causes were known, and other times those causes were unknown. But the question that I have for all of us is, why do we hide our emotional pain, for example? How do we hide our emotional suffering, our afflictions? The great example that we can share, when someone asks all of us, hey, Flavio, how you doing? Hey, Lori, how do you do? Very seldom we'll hear somebody saying, you know what, I'm not doing so well today. You know what, today has not been a great day. Today, it's been tough for me. Today, I'm struggling. Today, I'm, I'm feeling. Today, I'm hurting. We very seldom hear those words because people are concerned. I'm not going to show up my feelings to anybody. But will that be so because people don't want to be seen as weak, perhaps? Or is there a societal pressure for me to be okay, to be happy, to be smiling all the time? Are there any religious pressures? As a matter of fact, if we are smiling and laughing and happy all the time, folks, let me, allow, let me, let me break it to you. We need to see the doctor because that's humanly impossible for us to be happy and content and laughing all the time. Because life is full of ups and downs. Life is full of you know, cycles as we know it. And there are some days that we'll be here, other days we're gonna be here and that's okay. How we go through these situations, how we go through these afflictions, how much learning we get out of them is what matters. That's what Joanna is arguing in this book. So once we understand that, we start seeing the world with different set of eyes. Of course, we're not gonna say, oh, I'm struggling, I'm really complaining to everybody, but that's, that's not gonna help us either. But what she's suggesting is that we oftentimes hide our emotions to others. And that could be dangerous as well, as we know from psychology, right? But if we go back to Jesus, this profound knowledge about the human psyche, this profound love that he felt for everyone, this idea of helping, of him being a doctor, of him being a teacher, of him being you know, a helper, really went beyond that. And if we're able to tie back those afflictions with one of his beatitudes, that we'll touch that on later on today, blessed are the afflicted, because or for they will inherit the earth, we'll see that as we move along here, 
afflictions are a part of our lives. There's nothing we can do to say, you know what, I'm not going to have any afflictions moving forward because it's humanly impossible, as we learn from, you know, medicine, from society, from human sciences, from our lives, so to speak. So as we progress in the overall discussion or arguments here, let me go back to the concept of the ideal humankind. Because this is an interesting one that aligns a lot of what Joanna DeAngelis is saying in this book here, Wake Up and Be Happy, with what we learn from transpersonal psychology. So, for example, uh, in the introduction of this stunning book, the spirit guide Joanna DeAngelis invites us to think about our overall journey on Earth, our spiritual progress. What are we doing to make progress? What are we doing to really be better, you know, spirits, better husbands, better wives, better teachers, better students, better employees, better employers, better XXX. Doesn't matter what role we play. And oftentimes we play several roles. She's given us some guidelines for us to be better in everything that we do. And we'll develop that. She helps us develop that in step-by-steps or in phases or in steps. I'm not going to spoil the book because I'd love for all of you to read that book, which is amazing, by the way. But she gives us some very concrete guidelines on how to really drive happiness to our lives. But one thing is for sure, whenever we are in search of happiness and harmony, we should do one thing. And they may be wondering what that is. So what that is, is that every time we're looking for happiness and harmony, we should constantly challenge ourselves. We should constantly go back and say, you know what? Am I, if Jesus wore, wore in my shoes right now, what would he do? And that's exactly what she suggests. We should constantly challenge ourselves to continue following Jesus or this ideal model for humankind. But the ideal model for humankind, as you see here, it's not a spiritist or a spiritualist you know, jargon by all means. The person who coined that was if we flip the page and look at the uh, 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 the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Gustav Jung, uh, who was really an influential thinker, as we know, and the co-founder of analytical psychology with Freud. He's often considered one of the uh, first modern psychologists to really highlight or to state that the human psyche is by nature religious. Look how important that is. The human psyche is by nature religious. And we need to, we need to explore in depth. He did that. We're going to cover some of his uh, interesting topics that he, he brought together here for us. So in the ideal uh, um, humankind, the ideal type of humankind, he presents a model that is composed by characteristics of both feminine and masculine genders. You may have heard this before, but in essence, what he's suggesting is that we are all both. We all have both male and female traits. Let me say that again. The ideal type of humanity, as he suggests, it's composed by individual characters of both feminine and masculine genders. And you may have heard this before, as I said, as I said but what he's suggesting here is that we all, we, everybody has 
both male and female traits. Let's uh, let's keep going. So you may have seen this from you know Chinese sign. This is the yang and ying, or the anima and the animus. And as we know, right from the left side of it, we have the traditional yang or animus or masculine, which usually not always but usually right that brings the traits of initiative courage objectivity and of course on the right side as this slide progresses here we have the in or the anima or feminine or usually the intuition the capacity to love for love and the spiritual wisdom come from folks we're not suggesting that every person that is identifies as masculine have these things not every person identifies as feminine has those things no that's not what we're suggesting what we're suggesting here is that these are concepts that Jung developed from the psyche or from the masks that we are aware when we're having these situations we're having these traits with our own selves and if we compare what Jung is trying to build here He's trying to suggest that for us to be perfect, we have to have both together. Because only one, as you can see here, if you're you only one set of traits or one group of traits, you're missing the other and so forth and vice versa, as we know it. But if we compare that with what Jesus did, and I have two examples that I'd love to share with you, because he really embodied that ideal humankind the ideal model for humankind very, very effectively. For example, if you look at John chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, this was the time that the Jewish Passover was about to happen. And then Jesus went up to Jerusalem, to the synagogue. And then in the temple, right, he found people that were selling cattle, they were selling sheep, doves, folks were sitting on tables, exchanging money he they made the the temple a market and he made a whip out of the cords and drove all of them out of the uh out of the temples both the sheep and the cattle and everybody else he scattered the coins and the money changes you know they overturned their stables and he was very objective he was saying you know what you can't do this get out of here Stop turning my father's house into a market. And some of the disciples remember that, you know, we have to zeal our temple, our, our houses of prayer, our houses of worship. And when the Jews saw that, they responded to him. What sign can you show us to prove your authority in all this? They challenged him because they were not, you know, sure that he was the, uh, the Messiah. And then he, just, he answered them destroyed this temple and now raised again in three days of course that was metaphorically but he said that and then they replied he has taken 46 years if i'm not mistaken to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days they joke about it so well, seriously i mean is that is that your way to approve that but then the you know but the temple that was there he had spoken about wasn't the physical temple what people missed was that what he was trying to say was about our own temples which is our own bodies right 
after he was, again, the, the scriptures continue, but at the end of the day, what I'm trying to suggest here is that he was very objective. He was very courageous. He had the initiative to go talk to those who were, you know, really turning the temple into a market. Once again, the young, the animus, the masculine side of Jesus. Okay? Flip to the right. And we see in Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, we see him, as Luke tells us, really asking, bring me the children. People were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on. They thought that by his just, you know, imposing or raising of hands, right, their, those babies will be blessed. And when the disciples saw that, they rebuked them. But say, you know what? They, Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's okay. Just bring the children to me. And do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such small creatures or small, you know, children like those. He goes, truly I tell you that anyone, anyone who would not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he was caring. He was loving. He had the intuition to understand what a child wants. He had the uh, authenticity to speak to a child. Because this is a beautiful thing about children. When they're young, they'll tell you for what it is. They'll not sugarcoat it. They will not reduce or augment. They'll just tell you, Daddy, honey, am I, am I pretty? Daddy, you're not pretty today. Not today. Yesterday you were pretty, but not today. They'll tell you exactly how they feel, which oftentimes we don't do that as adults because we are, again, we are surrounded by some social norms and we don't want to offend people. We get it. But what Jesus was talking about here is that the humility, the care, the capacity for love, the spiritual wisdom of a child is what really matters. And we have to have that if you want to really inherit the, uh, the kingdom of God. And this is exactly what Joanna talks to us on when she talks to us about the uh, Jesus children and the concept of humility from a book called Love, Unbeatable Love. And she says that humility or with humility, we individual, we find ourselves as a child sometimes. And this particular verification, she writes, represents the all achievements because we've become psychological mature. We don't really care, right? For, I don't want to make somebody so-and-so. I don't want to, oh, I'm God, you know, if I wear these types of clothing and uh, folks are not going to like it. No, we've become more mature than that. We've, we've learned how to experience ourselves. We've learned how to act with that level of maturity. And then once that happens, all these feelings that come back from the magical time of childhood starts to happen again. And she goes even beyond that. She talks about the acceptance. If I can change the slide here. Yeah, the acceptance of the need for humility. Because a lot of folks don't understand that we have to be humble. Without humility, things are much more difficult. That's what she argues. That's what she highlights here. And humility itself helps us discover that without any presumption or any fear of our challenges or anything that we're facing 
existentially speaking, any issues, all these things with humility that helps our self-confidence, that helps all of us not extrapolating our own value or, or neither underestimating it. Because that's exactly what humility is. To be humble is not to be poor. Sometimes humble people are poor, but I've seen a lot of poor people that were not humble at all. They were very proud. They were very, you know, very different behavior. To be humble doesn't necessarily mean to be poor. And I've seen a lot of wealthy folks who are very humble, who understand the overall value, who understand what they can bring to the table and understand what are the things they're doing to better either society, their, themselves, their families, and so forth. Last but not least, in this amazing book called Love Unbeatable Love, she speaks about humility as this tool or as this force that can help the person achieve this strength to really broaden the framework of our relationships. Meaning, with humility, we have more friends. With humility, we have more contacts, more connections, and therefore helps us be more fraternal, helps us see the world with a different set of eyes, helps us realize that with individuality, we're not gonna get further. We cannot live without the sense of community. The social sciences explain to us, nobody can live alone, nobody, right? We know that. And then she explains to us all these processes that happens in our psyches, in our minds, that really connects to overall progress, our own spiritual progress, I should say. So bottom line here is she's suggesting is the more humble we get, the happier lives we live. The more humble we become, the more friends we have, our social capital is going to grow and all these things. Flavio, I mean, I thought this was a talk about Jesus and the overall spiritist view of Jesus. Yes, 100%. And I think it's important for us to connect the Christ with that ideal type of humanity. Because once again, he played those two roles very well, by the way. And as we learn in the gospel, according to spiritism, the truly good person is that one that really complies with the laws of justice, love, and charity. But Alan Kardec doesn't stop there. He goes even beyond that in the highest degree of purity. Meaning, people that are truly good, they comply with the laws of justice, love, and charity. And those are the guardrails for our own spiritual journey, folks. Because if we aspire, which I believe we all do, to become better spirits tomorrow, to become more more abiding, you know, human beings. These are the uh, rules. We got to really, I mean, abide by these laws, but not the laws in the books. Those are just one set of laws. The laws of justice, I'm talking about divine justice. The law of love, I'm talking about the divine law of love. The charity, I'm talking about the divine law of charity that goes beyond just the material charity that we give somebody who's asking for money if we go to a developing country. So the connection with that, we see in the book called uh, Planetude, if I can get the slide to move here. Yep, Joanna talks about Jesus being, he was the prototype of happiness. He loved nature, he loved every human being. 
He loved all the simple labors, all the simple work, which also he wove in his wonderful parables. And thanks to his parables that today we're still able to comprehend his message. So even 2,000 years later, we're still able to really decipher all the metaphors, all the teachings that he left when he was here, he was here with us. Uh, what about the nature of Jesus? I think it's important for us to, to uh, touch on that because um, can we ask where he came from? Was he God? Uh, was he someone that God sent us to? Uh, what can we know? What can be known about Jesus? I mean, we know a lot of things about him, but do we know everything about him? Probably not. I would say definitely not. But one thing that this spiritism, you know, ideal or philosophy is very clear on is uh, he was not God, by absolutely not. On the contrary, uh, his nature was just like our nature. You know, we just, you know, he was just, he's a spirit like all of us. No different than any one of us. Or the difference is in his journey that he has made a lot better choices way back then than oftentimes we didn't. So as you see here in red, he's a superior spirit, one that belongs to the highest order. That's what we learn. We can call him an angelic spirit. We can call him, it doesn't matter what we call him, call him, but this is the nature that we understand and we learn from, uh, uh, from spiritism. And of course, he was not God, as we learned from the mediums book, but he was the ambassador of God. He was the ambassador of God or a divine Messiah that really brought us the message. Did we understand the message when he was here? No. Unfortunately, a lot of us didn't. And that's why it's still important to study Jesus. Now that we have different tools or different mechanisms to comprehend, we can really understand what Joanna talks about here. In this very same book, Wake Up and Be Happy, she highlights the fact that his, uh, uh, Jesus transcends the stages of the process of evolution on earth. Because it's, it's very difficult to compare. Because he was already part of earth when earth was being created. He was already an angelic spirit, you know, billions and billions of years ago. So when we see that, we understand about the transcendental nature of Jesus. That's really, really, you know, important for us to cap to capture. At the end of the day, uh, uh, he was not God. He was an ambassador of God, a, a, somebody that God sent us to really keep us on our on our toes, so to speak. That's the message that we get. And of course, he lived a life like we all did. You know, he was just a regular human being. He worked with his father as a carpenter. He had the same bodily composition as we did, as we do. There's some, you know, philosophies out there that think that Jesus had a, a astral body only, nothing physical, nothing matter. We respect those, but we understand slightly different. We understand him as a regular human being like we all are, right? As it is also in the Genesis by Allen Kardec, chapter 14, verse 9. And also, if we continue with our train of thought here, we see that his superiority over humans was only of a spiritual nature. Nothing here material, his spirit, spirit or his astral body, uh, we was really drawn from the most you know, quintessential portion of Earth's energy, as we know. So nothing really, uh, uh, quote unquote, extraordinary. 
uh, from his from this overall. Which brings an interesting point because I'm sorry to break it to you folks, but you are not special. I'm not special, nobody's special. So when we look at us all being children of God, none of us is special because we're all children of God. We're all children that God loves us the same way. And if that is so, as we know it is, based on our studies and our research, based on what spirit guides have been telling us, God doesn't have preferred treatment. God does not have a one people that he likes more than other people. He does not, you know, no. It's like a parent loves their children or his or her children the same way, the very same way. And when we learn about the Lord's Prayer, our Father or our Mother, if you want to, you know, do it that way, that means the Father or the Parent for all of us, including Jesus, for that matter, as we know it. So, uh, what about the uh, his mediumship capabilities? Can we talk about that? Obviously, of course we can, because he had received a different input, as we know it. And a lot of times, we saw him going to the mount to meditate, to connect with God, right? We know that. He acted as a healer. Uh, can we consider some of his healings part of mediumship, right? So when we understand the concept of mediumship, which is this communication with the, you know, deceased or with immortal spirits who are already, you know, uh, uh, beyond the grave. When we understand that, we can only make a connection that he was really the medium of God, right? God really spoke a lot to Jesus. And that's why we received all the uh, teachings and all the knowledge that he's left us. That's exactly what's written in the uh, Spirit's book as we know it. So what about his... Um, therapeutical capabilities because i think it's important to mention or to look at jesus as the uh, uh, uh the psychotherapist so before we get there i think it's important to mention that over 100 years that modern psychology right and and, uh, and we still have haven't really improved a lot of the principles and the lessons that were taught by this great human soul there's one author that i like a lot he's not a spiritist author uh but he's a, he's a biographer dr mark baker that gives us a a very refreshing and practical understanding of how jesus teachings are not only comparable with the science of psychology today but it also will speak to our problems and our struggles of right now jesus words can also really resonate with our struggles right now so it's very thought-provoking to look at jesus and how much he loved and he, he related to people around him and how much his teachings really offered ideas and really connect with modern psychology so he has taken hundreds of years for us to get that, as we learn today from modern psychology. So when we look, for example, as the word therapio, which is to heal or to wait upon or to serve, we understand that he was always healing. As you see in this picture here on the slide, 
he was always imposing his hand, giving passes, as we call them in spiritism, to those who were in need. People would come and would touch his cape and he would get cured. With the example of the woman who really walked miles and miles, she fought the, uh, the crowd, large crowd, in order, to, in order just to touch Jesus, and she was healed from that you know, issue that she was having internally, internal bleeding. So when we look at these things, it's important for us to stop and think. Was he a, a healer? What was he doing? And then if we connect it with the words or the teachings from some of the Gospels, for example, Matthew talks about Jesus, right? As not only for those who are healthy, as he mentioned, but he came for those who are sick. So, and if we corroborate this with our own sickness, meaning not only our physical diseases or physical illnesses, but sometimes we are tired. Sometimes we are frustrated. Sometimes we struggle. Sometimes we have problems. Sometimes we have afflictions. And for all these issues, for all these problems, obviously, if we can find a psychologist, they'll help. They'll definitely help. But Jesus was also there. He was the greatest therapist who have ever lived according to Dr. Baker. And then if we match what we learn from spiritism, if we match also what we learn from another author that I like a lot, Dr. Hannah Wolf, he's always been reborn in philosophy, in leadership, in sociology and everything. As a matter of fact, this is not planned, but uh, this week, oops, this week, I picked up this book called Jesus, the CEO. So leadership studies right now are going back to Jesus' time to understand what are the things that he talked, what are the concepts that he brought forward that are really reflecting him as a great philosopher, a great leader, right, within sociology, within psychology, and so forth. And if we connect that with what Joanna is talking to us on this book called Jesus in the light of profound psychology. She tells or she mentions that he was the psychotherapist par excellence. The incomparable instructor who really penetrates all of our hearts, the hearts of every student with lessons that are transmitted by the patient or through the patient and generous companion, God, right? That's why it's capital C. So it's really someone that walked the talk. Everything he spoke about, everything he promised, everything he said, he delivered. And that's what we learn from uh, this great psychological component that Jesus has really left with us. So once again, uh, the perfect model. And that's exactly what we learned from Spiritism. Question 625 of the Spirits book. What is the most perfect example that God has offered us as a guide and model. And this is the shortest answer from that book, Jesus. So when we get that, I mean, we, we sort of change how we think about Jesus. It's impossible not to get our wheels, you know, going inside our brains to think about Jesus in a different way. For example, what was his mission? Did he come here to ask us to do you know, amazing things or, you know, extraordinary things. As the Brazilian famous mediums used to say, Francis Xavier, 
He did not ask much. He did not demand that we climb Mount Everest or make great sacrifices. No, he didn't. He only asked us to love one another. To love one another. And when he said that, as we know in the scriptures, when he said that, he said that with all the authority that he had. Because his role was led by moral authority. He led by example. He really came to teach us that true life is to be found not here on earth, but in the kingdom of heaven. But where is that? Is that in a physical place? Is that in a location somewhere? He came us to teach the way to get there. And the way to get there is to go inside of us. It's reconciling ourselves with God. And to really forewarn us, right? To give us some head warning regarding the overall progress of future progress that we have in order to fulfill our own destinies as a whole. Because we are building our destinies every single day. We're building our tomorrow every single day. And that's why we can say, that's the reason why we can say that he mentioned that I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we connect that with what we learned from spiritism, right? He was not a simply of a moralistic lawgiver. Yeah, you should do this and you should do that. And no, because his authority, right, was not only his own word, but he came, therefore, to fulfill the prophecies that had been announced, his comings by Moses and the first revelation. His authority, as we mentioned, derived from the exceptional nature of his spirit and his divine his divine mission, as we learned from the uh, gospel according to spiritism. But when we talk about Jesus, it's in, impossible not to look at how much love he has given us. How much love he left to all of us that can still see him, right? And we can see that in the Beatitudes, in his Beatitudes, which really offers a model of behavior for spiritual rewards. They'll be bestowed upon us who sometimes suffer internal and external and spiritual tribulations in life. As there was conflicts, afflictions, difficulties, torments, illnesses, and so forth. When he mentioned about this, I like to look at the Beatitudes as a stepping stone. For you to, for example, to rejoice and be glad, you have to have accomplished all those ones before. Right? So, for example, blessed are the poor of spirit, or some translations use the word afflicted, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He knows that. Because if you look at from a concept of once we're going through afflictions, what's happening to us? We're paying back our debts, right? Divine justice, the will, right? Some people call it karma, thanks to reincarnation and all these things. When we are afflicted and we go do well with our afflictions, we're paying back our debts. That's why we are conquering the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Yes, sometimes we mourn. The saying goodbye to a loved one. It is difficult. It is harsh. We know that. It is. We have to also understand that's part of life, that we have to say goodbye to folks that we love. But we're going to be comforted because we know 
that it will see those folks again in a new life, in the next life. Right? Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Gentle, pacifier, those who are really have a hunger for and thirst for righteousness, to do the right things. Even if nobody's doing the right thing, doesn't make it right. We have to do the right thing. This is what he's calling us to do. And we will all be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, those who are forgive, for they shall receive mercy, for they shall receive forgiveness. Blessed are those pure in heart, because they will see God, as we know that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We, as Christ followers, have to bring peace everywhere we go. That should be our jobs, folks, every one of us. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We look at Joanna of Arc, for example, who was born alive because she did not say that she was not following Christ. She was not a Christ disciple, as we know that. Blessed are you, are when what? blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. How many times have are we called names because oh you're a Christian? Oh, therefore you don't do this, or therefore you don't do that. People automatically associate things with us. Things that, as we learn through spiritism, they're not really what Christ left us. Christ was very progressive when he was here. He was a very forward thinker. People don't realize that. Oftentimes, people change the overall concepts of the gospel, of his teachings, to meet some of their own you know, hidden agendas or personal agendas. But if we truly look at Jesus, the counselor, the peacemaker, the healer, the teacher, the helper. He was progressive. He was treating women with respect, right? I mean, he, this was the first. He was doing everything ahead of his time. He, ahead of his time. And some people still see Jesus as very conservative, which it, it, it's very difficult for me to see that. And then at the end of the day, rejoice together and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For you, in the same way they persecute, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So what he's suggesting is we have to do the right thing no matter what. And if we follow his love and guidance, we will get some rewards. We will be able to really live more fulfilled lives in the future. But, okay, Flavio, I get it. But how to really understand his teachings and life examples? Because... Again, it's tough, right? I mean, as I mentioned before, some people interpret the, the teachings in a very different way and so forth. How do we really get it? How, can you give me some, some pragmatic examples? Absolutely, right? And the first one that I try to bring is from someone that I have a lot of respect for, which is Edgar Casey, right? The uh, sleeping prophet, as you may have heard about him. He was the uh, one of the most prolific mediums of American history. I'm not sure how popular he is in the UK, or in Europe, but here he really crafted uh, the message that one day we will all rejoice with God and achieve relative perfection. And this is the only way or the only destiny for every soul. And the way to get there is through that awareness that's imprinted in our minds and waited to be awakened by our own will. We got to really get the work done. Of our own of our own oneness with God, and its manifestation is the eventual destiny of each and every soul. 
this is what he really identifies as the Christ pattern. Or the people that understood Christ's message are doing these things. And the more we do these things, the closer we get with God. That's one interpretation of how to really understand, right? Jesus' teachings. The second one that I'll be glad to share is, of course, Gandhi. Gandhi was a prolific speaker. Uh, note that Gandhi was not a critic of Christianity. Christianity. He was a critic of Christians or people that were, quote, unquote, following Christ, but eh, not so much, right? And in this book called Gandhi and Christianity by Robert Ellsberg, he says, of all the things I have read, what remained me forever was that Jesus came almost to give a new law, not an eye for an eye, but to receive two blows when only one was given and to go two miles when one, when they were asked to go one. I came, he came to see that the Sermon of the Mount as the whole idea of Christianity that came with him. And he even goes beyond saying that in a different publication, that if everything else got lost, but if the Sermon of the Mount was still there, we'll be able to go back to the roots of Christianity and understand with a different set of eyes, right? So he was really endeared, or Jesus was really endeared to him based on the Sermon of the Mount, as we know from, uh, from his, uh, his feedback. At the end of the day, folks, when you look at all of the uh, psychological contributions that Jesus have le has left us, one, that Adriano the Angelist talks to us that really synthesizes all what he proposed was around love. And it's one of the most beautiful psychotherapies that is known today. To love a God above all things and to love our neighbor like we do ourselves. This is a, a very harmonic trilogy because if we do this, only this. If we do this, I mean, that's fulfilling his overall, you know, teachings to the fullest. And to the point that Joanna Angelis talks about the apogee of love is really found in that feeling that Jesus offered to humanity and continues to donate, to help in his condition as an unloved loving being, which is very interesting how she puts that together, meaning he is there helping us through all time, never, never, ever giving up on us. When you look at these things, when you look at the overall contributions that we have here from Jesus, it's impossible not to be amazed by his overall teachings. It's really impossible not to understand that he didn't really come to destroy any laws, as some folks may argue, but instead, he came to fulfill it and to demonstrate with his own life examples and words of wisdom in the forms of parables and so forth. But again, at the end of the day, the connection that we have here is a very important one that's highlighted in this great book called Jesus in the Home that says between the teaching and the outcome, everything depends on the student. And if you really have identified Jesus as a model and guide, it's up to us folks to study, to go after some more knowledge, to read more about him, to understand not only the great psychotherapist that he was,
the great doctor, the great teacher, the great, you know, really loving human being that he was when he was here with us. And that way we'll be able to understand what his role was, his capabilities and everything that we've been really arguing uh, uh, this evening here, that he is our best model and guide. And that's why these words, whoever desires to come after me, let him or her deny him or herself, take up his cross or her cross, the difficulties, the problems, and follow me because I will be there for you. Folks, that's what I had planned to share with you this, uh, today. I hope it's been helpful. I don't know if you have any time for a Q&A or quick, you know, a Q&A, but uh, Fabrice and Laurie, uh, back to you, folks. I think uh, you're on mute, Fabrizio, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, I've been talking away by myself here. I was on mute, apologize. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Flavio, for that. It's much appreciated. Um, during your talk, um, I got myself very reflective as well. And um, one of the quotes that you mentioned, and I, I, I start analyzing that, was when you mentioned, um, challenge ourselves to follow Jesus. And then I start thinking, well, this is a good one because um, how can I challenge myself so that I can follow Jesus? And what comes to my mind, and that is something that has been told to us for so many years with old philosophers in the past. And if you, if you look in the Bible, you can see that. If you look in the literature in the Spiritist, books, you can see that as well. If you read John and John, this is all over that as well, which is about knowing yourself. The way I can challenge myself so that I can, I can follow Jesus is doing the exercise to know ourselves, because you mentioned that we, um, and then Jung brought that up very clearly to us, that we have our unconscious and conscience. And there is a lot in our unconscious where probably most of our afflictions come from that we are not conscious that we are not aware of. Mm -hmm. And then the, the more we spend time um, investing to go into this inner travel to find more about ourselves, the more we can discover who we are and what we can do to change ourselves. Because as you become aware of who we are, that is, I think, is the, the process of getting ourselves changed anyway. So when you when you said that, that will come to mind. It's it, it it can be a painful journey. And we all know that we sometimes use a lot of escapism um, to avoid that journey. But there is no other way because when you think about it, um philosophers in the past has told us that um, the Bible, if you read the Bible, there are a lot of in there say, know yourself. And then if you read like the literature in the spiritism, it's, it's also say exactly the same. So for me, the key there is know yourself. Yeah. And that's the most difficult journey that we all have to go through because it's easy to you know, hop on a plane and go from Boston to London or to you know other places, but to really go deep inside of us, why do I behave this way? 
Why do I react that way? Why am I thinking these things? What are the things that bother me, right? When we start to think about that, that can be painful. That can be harsh. That can be difficult. But the more we do that, the more we get to know ourselves, the more we get to know our capabilities, our limitations, our opportunities, our challenges, and the better plan we can build for our own selves. That's what he's talking about. That's what she's talking about. To really challenge ourselves to continue following Jesus. Right? I mean, to me, that's that's beautiful. As you as you, as you exemplified, right? With this inner journey, inner transformation. A lot of folks have given different names. To me, it's mm-hmm. an inner journey, right? It's really go inside and see who is who is Flavia. When I look at myself in the mirror, what do I see? Right? Do I see what I present on the streets? Do I see, do I see what I you know come across as when I'm talking to my family members, to my loved ones, when I'm praying, what do I see? Right? And by knowing more about ourselves, the more the better plan we'll be able to build for ourselves as well. So I'm just going to quick have a look if there is any questions. So what I would like to say to everyone who's watching us, if you'd like to pop any question on the chat, I, I'm happy to read it out and we can open for discussion. Just going to go through loads of messages on here, if I can see any questions on there. So one that just popping up here is from Bob Williams. Um, he says, the focus here seems to be on the tremendously valuable teachings and examples of Jesus. But do Joanna's message challenge or support the importance of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, his role as a savior and redeemer for the forgiveness of people's sins? Or are those roles only related to a belief in Jesus as a God? That's a great question, uh, Bob. Thank you for bringing that up. We we hear or we learn from Joanna a lot of the uh, hidden behind the scenes message during crucifixion. So there's a couple of books uh, uh, that she talks about. This other you know uh, spirit authors that talk about the moment that Jesus was crucified, right? For example, when he was there after his discarnation, we learn from you know authors that the very first person that he went after was Judas. He went to really help Judas after the, the whole betrayal that we know that Judas was interested on the overall, you know, a change of the people or, or the overall imposing of the gospel as a law. And Jesus was not, that was not the message that we heard from Jesus. So when Jesus committed suicide, he went straight to help Jesus. We heard that from Joanna's uh, uh, history of his, Joanna's uh, uh, books as well. Well, we also learned uh, from spiritism as the message is that Jesus came to really help us understand that our sins, that our difficulties, that our mistakes oftentimes are tied to either current or past decisions that we've made. And then he came, of course, not to eliminate those sins, as some folks may believe that hey, if I'm call, if I call myself a Christian, all the uh, things that I've done in the past will be erased. That's not what we spiritists believe. We believe that he came to open our eyes to say, you know what? I've done all these you know, things in the past. I have to repent. I have to fix. I have to repair. But that might not be here right now. They will go in the future. But my understanding that divine justice applies to everyone. I mean, that's the message that we hear from Joanna. 
and from spiritism overall. Again, the, the idea of resurrection, she doesn't really talk about that, at least that, that I know of. Uh, we know there's, there's some uh, messages between resurrection, reincarnation, when Jesus materialized himself to Mary of Magdalene, right? He was there to really show or to exemplify to her the life went on. And the fact that he came and showed himself to a woman has huge symbolism, right? So we can again, maybe go that in a different you know, uh, uh, date or in a different uh, time, but that's as far as I remember, uh, Bob. I know I have not answered 100% of your question, but I hope that was helpful. Thank you, Flavio. That is very um, thought-provoking. We can actually um, talk about this for for whole evening because <laughs> there's loads for, um, to discuss in there. It's quite a broad question um, brought for Bob Williams. It's really good as well. Um, so as we are waiting for any more questions, if anyone want to pop up on Facebook, uh, I'd like to announce our next meeting. Uh, our next Spiritist evening is going to be with Daniel Assisi on the 12th of March. Uh, the topic is yet not decided so it will be a, a surprise <laughs> so we don't know what the topic is going to be but um, that will always surprise surprise us because um, he's very well known for um, some of you here that uh, has um, attended our events in the past so yes I look forward to our next um, meeting on the 12th of March um, as far as questions um, I don't think any more question has popped up here on Facebook. Um, I will hand it over then to you, Laurie. Thank you, Fabrizio. Flavio, absolutely riveting. Do you know what? My personal opinion, our understanding, connection, and relationship with God and Jesus is quite an intimate and personal one. And it's one we tend not to discuss too much. It's one we tend not to hear being discussed too much. So tonight was a real revelation. A lot of the aspects coming through, I thought, I get that. I, I can relate to that. I can really understand. That resonates. That was the word, resonate. So thank you. Thank you. Jeez. Thank you. <clears throat> so uh, closing prayer. Yes, please, because I, I just checked again, Lawrence, there is no more questions, so I think we can go to the conclusion prayer, please. Yeah, I, th I think because it's so intimate and so personal, it's given people a lot of room to reflect on their own understandings, their own relationships. So, yeah, well done, Flavio. Absolutely well done to all. Thank you. So, dear friends, once more, just set aside all that troubles us, all that hampers our efforts and our energies. We give thanks for this evening, for these advancements taken, these understandings revealed, for the confirmations and the upholding of all that that we know to be true. We ask a blessing on all those ones here tonight and those guides, inspirers, who have worked so hard to make this information flow to bring into our own homes these times of religious intimacy, these times of personal reflection, 
these times of revelation, and these times mostly of healing. Amen. So, Flavio, once again, thank you very much for being here with us. And thank you. I want to say thank you to all of you that have been watching us. Uh, it's been a pleasure being here. And I hope to see you all again on the 12th of March. I will say good night and see you soon. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Good night, everybody.